Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another serving of Business Soup Talk Radio. If it's in business, it's Business Soup. I'm your host, John Dibbavoise. Is your business exposed to liability from your employees? Can your employees come after you if you are managing their retirement plan and you don't make the right investments? You bet they can. We're going to be talking with our money man from Wilsey Asset Management, none other than Brent Wilsey. Brent will be sharing with us the ins and outs of what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing when it comes to managing the retirement plans within your business. That and more right here at the table on Business Soup. Brent, welcome back to this serving of Business Soup. Good to be back. Thanks for inviting me, John. Hey, it's been a scorcher out here on the left coast. And as we have watched the temperatures rise and our interest rates go down, I'm often entertained by myself on how I got into the world of investment. You know, I grew up as a cowboy and I met some guys along the way like yourself that knew some really big words like investment and diversification, you know, things that a cowboy really didn't know. You know, and they were telling me that my lifestyle of whiskey, women, and horses just wasn't a long-term recurring income. And as fun as it was, they got me involved in businesses and buying businesses and real estate. And I learned the importance of words such as liquidity and, of course, diversification and retirement. Wow, things I'd never thought of before. There is so much cash that you have said on this program for months now that's out there. What do I do with my latest and greatest PPP check that I've got, along with all the other money that I've saved up? Where's a good place to put it if I want liquidity? Well, hopefully if it's a PPP, that you are going to use it for your business because that's the way you'll probably make the most money if you invest it wisely back in the business. But what you may be saying, well, gee, I've got, I'm going to throw out a number $500,000 here. I'm not going to use it all at once. Where should I put it to build something off it? Two things you should and can do. Number one is you do have to keep some in the bank or in the money market only going to pay you 0.1%. You're not going to earn that much off it, but it's going to be there when you need it. Now, if you can go maybe a few more months than that, one thing we did in our portfolio, I think we invested about $20 million of our $300 million portfolio into what's called a senior floating rate fund. And what these are is they're actually funds that are not bonds, but they're loans, prime loans from the bank And why it's a floating rate, why that's so important is because if rates go up, their rate can go up. And that's a problem with bonds is that when rates go up, bonds go down to match that new higher interest rate that's being charged. On a floating rate, that means the rate will go up and may adjust every two, three months. So therefore, you don't have that big decline in principle. And right now, the the yields on them are probably somewhere on 1.5, maybe 2%. You will do a little bit better with that. And I'm going to tell you, if you only got $10,000, not worth the effort. But if you have 50, 75, maybe $100,000, yeah, you can make a couple thousand dollars more by putting your money into a senior floating rate fund ETF. You've got to make sure you're getting the right ones because there's some out there that are leveraged. Some are managed very poorly. So make sure you get the best one out there managed so that you don't lose money on your short-term investment. You mentioned about getting into the arena of leverage and such. Money is so cheap nowadays. If I'm buying a property, say an investment property, 
is it worthwhile to look at increasing my cash on cash return by borrowing money at such a low interest rate if I can buy an income property and borrow money and extend the purchase price and get a higher rate of return? It really is worthwhile doing because you're right. The cost of money is very low right now. But I want to warn people, be careful about doing a silly investment because you mentioned uh, an income property. Makes a lot of sense that that property can make you money. But I have seen people in real estate forget about what they're doing. Oh, I can get, you know, 2% mortgage, which by the way, probably 2.5% mortgage is really only owner occupied. For a right. person that is an investment property, they're going to probably pay, I'm going to say three, maybe three and a quarter, but still a very good cost of money that they're paying. But they still have to make sure they're doing a good investment because you could get free money if you do a poor investment, it doesn't matter. So make sure if you're going to do the real estate, you know what you're doing. You have, you know, the people doing the flipping now, they're trying to do that and so forth. Make sure you have contractors lined up that you know, because we have seen and we will see, John, people that got burned on this because somebody doesn't know what they're doing. They're going to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to flip this house. It's going to cost me $20,000 to upgrade it. They don't know what they're doing. They get in there. Oh, my gosh. I didn't realize the foundation was cracked. Oh, my gosh. I didn't realize that the roof had to be redone. So yes. be careful what you're doing. Make sure you know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing, stay away from it because you're going to lose more money than you're going to make because you don't know what you're doing. On a personal note and, and a caveat here, as to those that are looking at that flipping thing, there are a lot of people out there that are selling programs teaching you how to flip a house. And I often look at them as I did the gold rush. Uh, the ones who made the money were the ones that were selling the picks and shovels and then selling them to the miners. It's not easy flipping houses because if you take drywall down, you have no idea what's behind door number one. Yep. And, and you know, John, I've, I've been in the finance world for over 40 years now. You know who I've seen do the best flipping houses and doing that are the men that know what they're doing. They're in the industry of construction. They understand yes. how to build something because they can see things. They're not depending on somebody else. The people on the other side who got burnt are people, and I hate to say this, I'm going to generalize here, but they work in the office. They know nothing about construction, nothing about building something. And they're the ones that get burned because anybody can tell them anything. And they don't know the truth. So I've seen a lot of good people make good money, but most of them have been in the trade because they know about building. That and they can control their costs more because they know the hands-on. So I, I agree 100%. Talking with Brent Wilsey from the Wilsey Asset Management, a regular on the show here. And Brent, when it comes to getting your employees to stick around, it's been a pretty tough six months, particularly in the restaurant industry throughout the country and especially in our home state out here in California. If I'm using in the standard times a retirement or benefits program, is it a good idea for me as an employer to give these incentive, employee 401ks, retirement plans, whatever it is I can get, is it a good idea for me to manage it? And if so, what are some of the risks that I have in managing my own employee incentive program? A great question, John, but it's a, a long answer, so I'll try to cut it as short as I can here for you. It, it does make sense for employers to offer 401k for two reasons. One, it is the right thing to do because someday these people will retire, and if they don't have someone helping them, they're going to have a very poor retirement, tough on society because society will have to take care of them. Uh, the thing they have to realize is that it's not going to be the only reason why people stay, especially if they're like 25 or 27. They're, they're not thinking, unfortunately, towards retirement. 
So it may not be the best thing to do, but it is the right thing to do. Now, with that said, there are different options out there for employers. And the problem you have to be careful of is, just like anything, an employer can be sucked into a problem. What they have to do, and we do 401ks in our firm, is what is called a fiduciary. So what we do is we have to do what's best for that investor as opposed to a broker that has what's called a suitability requirement, which means they can sell you any mutual fund, could be the worst performing mutual fund, but it was suitable, well, that was okay. The big difference comes in is that if you use a 401k firm that has a suitability requirement, the employer has the liability if something goes wrong. He could be sued for not doing the right investment. If, on the other hand, you used a fiduciary to do your 401k plan, we take full responsibility for the investment. The employer has no liability at all. If something doesn't work right, the employers can't come after the employer they will come after the investment firm. So that's a big thing to ask with your current uh, 401k plan provider. If you're an employer, are you a fiduciary? And I forget the numbers. I, I, I wish I had the numbers off the top of my head. I can't think of them. But it's called, I think, a 335 plan. Don't use these numbers. It could be wrong. <laughs> okay. But it, there is a number for it that tells you that, yes, they have the fiduciary. And you can ask that question directly, saying to your 401k provider, are you a fiduciary that you take on all the liability or are we sharing the liability that that could be held? And they have to answer that question correctly. If they're a salesperson, be careful. They'll dress it up to make it sound that you are not liable. But again, if you're not a fiduciary, the employer is responsible. One of my best friends of many decades is a fiduciary. And it took him a long time of studying and testing to obtain that designation. And he takes it very seriously. And John, you know, and I'll give you some numbers here. Again, they're not the the exact numbers, but across the nation, there's about 960,000 financial advisors. However, only 61,000 are fiduciaries. So less than 10% are actually fiduciaries. So the chances are about one out of 10 that whoever you're dealing with um, is a fiduciary. That means 90% of who you're dealing with could be just suitability. So make sure you ask that question because there's not a lot of fiduciaries out there. And it does give us, I mean, again, our firm is a fiduciary firm. We have a lot of responsibility, a lot of liability. And a lot of brokers, they don't want it. They just want to sell product and not be responsible. So... When it comes to the diversification of whether it be my 401k for the employees or my own or just investments in general, what is your philosophy that you guide your investors in as far as you don't obviously you don't have all your money in the stock market and certainly not all in one investment. But is there a percentage that I should be looking at as a business owner for my business and diversification for my investments? What are the percentages or valuations that I might be considering in diversification? John, we do things differently because I've always looked at this as my job is to make our clients or the holders of that 401k money for the long term. Now, diversification sometimes can hurt you, especially right now, because the average broker may come in saying, well, gee, you're conservative. You should be 60% in bonds and 40% in stocks because you're conservative. We try to educate that person saying that is not the right thing to do because we do believe over the next five, 10 years, interest rates will do, do terrible because rates will rise bonds will will go down. So you shouldn't have any money, in our opinion, in the bond market for a long-term investor 
because of fact, you're not going to do well. But you need to educate that person on why. Because right now, our portfolio is either in cash, that floating rate fund I talked about earlier, mostly is in equities. Because when we're investing, John, we are investing for at least three, three to five years. So I think buying, and again, we don't use mutual funds. We use individual companies. I think investing in a food company right now is a great idea. I mean, they pay usually a 3 to 5% dividend. Uh, I think in five years, the cost of food will be higher as a business owner will benefit from that. The same thing with insurance companies in the portfolio. We have a builder in our portfolio. We have some tech companies, not the high, you know, the high flyers, but some good quality tech companies. So these are what you have to do is diversify your portfolio into different industries, different business types that will react differently to the economy for a long-term investor. Now, if you're a short-term investor of, we'll say, one year, two years, you probably shouldn't have much into the equity market, into businesses. I hate to say it, you probably need to get into a CD, maybe that floating rate fund. Maybe you'll earn one, maybe one and a half percent. So long-term investors should have, in my opinion right now, long-term is, you know, three, five, 10 years. You should have most of your money invested into good quality businesses like the ones that I talked about, uh, like the food companies, insurance companies, uh, home builders. That's where people should be investing their money for the long term. In my earlier days that I made reference to as the cowboy turned investor turned talk show host, one of the things that I learned in real estate was the importance of reoccurring income and liquidity. Mm-hmm. And boy, when I was starting off with just a real estate license, I'd sell something and I'd be living in the Ritz. And six months later, I was down in the dumps. It was hard to sell back then. And I didn't understand about keeping things in the pipeline, whether you're a commission salesman or you do direct marketing, have a business. But the, boy, the importance of being able to at least cover your nut, your expenses every month from a reoccurring income, which is like rent, is so important. When you look at somebody's portfolio and you see that they're a commission salesman, how do you advise somebody who has highly fluctuating revenues or incomes? You know, how do they save up for the future? You know, John, that's such a good question. And I've been, again, in the finance world for 40 years. I've seen this happen before. And I'm talking now about mortgage brokers. They can, as you said, real estate people, they can do extremely well for, for a year, maybe two years, make all this money. And, and I'm seeing it right now with mortgage brokers where they think it's going to last forever. We know it's not going to. Right. We know that what's going to happen is that maybe two years from now, rates could be going back up. Their, their, their production could go from a half million down to $60,000 a year. What they have to do is be realistic and look over a 10-year period. What's going to be my average? Is my average going to be 500000 No. Is it going to be 50000 Probably not. Maybe it's more like one hundred to 150000 So live like you're on 150000 not 500000 So you put the rest of that money away, trying to save it, put it in a 401ks, put it into retirement accounts so you can do well. And then also to not go out and buy that brand new Mercedes. Don't go out and buy a house you can't afford based on your current income. Say, no, my income is not 500000 a year. It's going to average more like a hundred, maybe 150. That's the lifestyle that I should live off of, not what's going on right now. Because this craziness is not going to last for years. Everybody has their hobbies. I converted my hobbies to a passion and a passion to profit by making them a business. And, of course, everybody else can do that by learning how to use the tax code through business soup. That's part of being in business is that that's where you get to learn how to use the tax code. 
A lot of controversy over Trump only paying 700 and some odd dollars for personal income tax, whether it's true or not. My question is, why did he pay any? If he'd been listening to me, he wouldn't have paid any. He would have learned how to write it all off. You know, John, that's so funny. And I try to tell people, oh, he, he's avoiding the taxes and so forth. I go, do you really think Donald Trump is sitting down at his, at his kitchen table, you know, doing his taxes? He has a team of tax attorneys and CPAs that, I mean, probably I can't even imagine what they cost him that is doing it. He probably doesn't even understand what's going on taxes because you hire a person that knows what they're doing. And that's what Donald Trump does. And he hires people smarter than him to do his taxes and say, and, and I think we've all said this, when you talk to your tax person, I want to pay the lowest tax possible. You figure it out. And that's been my mantra. And you don't have to know the tax code. You just have to know how to use it. Yes. And the tax code is tremendous in its size, but just understanding how you can convert ordinary expenses, quite simply, to deductions. Heck, I wrote my kids off. Didn't make me have any more, but I wrote them (laughs) off as employees. The institutional versus the private money manager. What is the difference between an institutional and private money manager? An institutional, and I'll give you a very quick analysis here. I mean, they generally deal with much larger funds. They're not going to be able to invest. That person has like $25 a month or whatever. They're not going to deal with them. They're going to deal with the millions of dollars to invest and so forth. They will get better deals, but also to their fees are many times much lower as opposed to the, I don't want to pick anybody here, but but the person that just got licensed and so forth, they really don't know what they're doing yet. They will take that that account, they'll go out to Joe Smith and they'll say, yes, we'll take your $1,000. And if you invest $100 a month, we'll, we'll do that for you. But their fee is going to be much higher. They also may, and I'm probably going to piss some people off here, that <laughs> they may try to sell you an insurance uh, because the commissions are higher or an insurance policy or an annuity, something where they're going to make more money. So institutional investors have a lot more access to information, but they do have much higher minimums. Um, our firm, we're kind of like an institutional investor, uh, but our account minimum is only a $100,000 investment for our clients. As you dropped in that thing about insurance, what kind of insurance for a business owner, say I have a corporation and say a C or an S corp, Is it advisable for me as the owner of the business to have a life insurance and long-term care or an insurance policy? And is it beneficial to have the corporation as the beneficiary, which then goes back to the shareholders? Well, we know, John, we have in our office a CFP that's uh, more of an expert on insurance. and We don't sell insurance at at our firm. But to give you an idea why he is there is that as a sole proprietor, you may not need any life insurance. But say you're a partner. I'll give an example of why you may want life insurance. Because you're a partner, yet there's two of you. And if one person passes away, say your company's worth uh, $2 million. Well, it's worth a million dollars. Well, unfortunately, your partner's wife, she says, well, I don't want to be part of your firm. You say, well, I don't want you part of my firm. I, I don't want to work with you. You don't know right. what you're doing. Well, pay me a million dollars. Well, I don't have the million dollars. So this is an excellent time that if you had that million dollar chemo insurance on your partner, you could say, sorry, I don't want you. I'm buying you out for a million dollars. Thank you very much. Enjoy your life. Here's your million dollars. But if you didn't have that, you'd be stuck dealing with, you know, people you don't want to deal with who could really drag your business down. So that's a good example. Also too many times for larger corporations. 
you want the key man insurance because say that uh, one of the board members passes away or one of the, the vice presidents or CEOs passes away uh, unexpectedly, you need that money to go out and find somebody else to replace that person as opposed to have that void there. It could be very difficult. So as a sole proprietor, many times you don't need it other than the fact that maybe you'd have to have something to unwind the business. But this is when you want to sit down with a true financial planner, a CFP, not someone who's trying to sell you something, but to really dissect your business for what you need. Because maybe you need life insurance for that business. Maybe you don't, but you want an unbiased opinion about that. Well, you hit on a point that I'm familiar with, and that is if the partnership falls apart, somebody dies, and in your example, you can either have an exit plan that includes a written document, say in an LLC, or your corporate or your partnership plan, or you end up with a new wife, maybe one you don't like. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and also, John, I'm glad you brought up the, you've got to have the agreement as well. You can't just do the, the policy, you have that agreement uh, written as well, correct? Yes, you always plan for the worst and hope for the best. And so you plan for your partners, your good friends to die and hope they don't, but you have an exit strategy in case they do. Get myself in trouble here, it's kind of like a prenup. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, and with that, Brent, I want to thank you for being on this program. Another serving of business, Brent Wilsey from the Wilsey Asset Management out in San Diego. You can find him through our website at bizsoup.com, where you'll find not only the transcript, but the links. You want to give a guy that knows the big words and how to invest your money, Brent Wilsey from Wilsey Asset Management. Brent, thanks for being on this serving of business soup. John, thanks for having me. As always, it goes by way too fast. I always enjoy it. This has been another serving of Business Soup, where business comes for business. I'm John Debevoise, inviting you to visit the website for more servings of what is best in business. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.